Hey everybody, the November 2022 Roundup is brought to you by Fun Again Games, and hello everybody, happy holidays, hope things are going well for you, November was certainly a very good month for us, uh, this is probably one of the biggest roundups ever, because for the first time we've got almost everybody talking about the games they played, including Amy and Maggie making their first appearance in the monthly roundup, which I am extremely happy about, especially because... Well, I don't want to spoil it, but let me just say it's worth, in my opinion, sticking to the very, very end of this particular video because got a little something special in store for you uh, once we get past the credits and all of that. But anyway, folks, uh, in case you're new here, here's what's about to happen. Myself and the contributors to the channel are going to do a countdown of the games that we played uh, in the month of November. Each of us is going to come up with our favorite game of the month, and uh, it's going to be a good old time. We're going to start with Amy and Maggie, and then I think Shay, and then Ruel, and then Kimberly, and then we'll get to all the games Jen and I played. So... It's pretty simple. Sit back, get comfortable, or you can always listen to this at podcast.rata.com in case uh, you want to be doing this while you're out walking your dog or, uh, I don't know, doing the dishes or something. But anyway, folks, uh, enough dilly-dally. We're here to tell you about a whole bunch of games. The last big hurrah of the year, because December's going to slow down a little bit, as it often does. Although, um, I will be doing my preliminary top 10 of the year. In fact, if you want to know more about what's coming in December, you can hit that eye in the top right corner screen and go check out the coming soon. But enough, enough. Let's get going. Amy and Maggie, uh, what do you got? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. G'day, everybody. It's Amy and Maggie from Thinker Thema, and I'm so excited to be part of this video because uh, Rado's Roundup is actually one of my favorite videos on YouTube. I'm not just saying that because he's here. Um, <laughs> I'm saying that because before we even started mm. Thinker Thema, it was the video I always made sure to watch as soon as it dropped, and I was always in the comment section and trying to guess what Rado's top three mm -hmm. uh, games would be, and now here we are. Yeah, here we are. Here there we you are. go. So we've got two games to, to talk about, so two games that we did run throughs for. Um, and interestingly, we've actually got, in terms of ranking them, we actually uh, are not seeing um, eye to eye on this one. We're disagreeing a little bit on, <laughs> on uh, this one. Well, we have different preferences. We're different kind of type uh, players, so that makes sense. But we'll just, just talk about the, the two games. The first one that we cover was Fit to Print, which is this really uh, cute, fun, and sometimes quite tense uh, little game where we are trying to uh, create the, um, the front page of our newspaper. And the way we're going to do that is or at least the, we, the run-through we did was for the, the real-time mode. Mm. We've got all these different pieces, face-down tiles um, that represent, some of them are going to be photographs, some of them are going to be advertisements, some of them are article, articles. And so we're going to be um, bringing those over to our desk, clipping them over, and then keeping them and piling them onto our 3D desk, which makes it very difficult to see spatially 
Are we getting enough? Are we getting not enough? Also, there's going to be some restrictions in terms of the adjacencies of those of those tiles. Um, and it also plays into two um, kind of mini stages yeah. that you have to gauge so as, as we have the timer going for usually four minutes. But you can kind of change that if you want it to be easier or more difficult. Yeah, and that's my favorite part is that it's up to the player at what point they stop collecting tiles <laughs> and then decide to start laying them out in front of them on the newspaper. And so at any point during the four minutes, you have to decide... Do I have enough time left to lay out those tiles? And you yell layout, and then you tip all the tiles off your 3D desk and start frantically trying to place them. I really enjoy that because, as you would have seen in the run-through, sometimes you can leave yourself not enough time to yeah. deal with the puzzle. Stop um, to go layout, and it's at that moment yeah. that you realize you've messed up. And one of, I'm well overcommitted or undercommitted. Yeah. One of my other favorite elements is advertising. If you don't have the most advertising, sorry, yeah, if you've got the least amount of advertising, dollars at the end of the game in a multiplayer game you are eliminated yeah. and so it's this ongoing thing of well have I put enough ads in my paper to keep up with everybody else and what <laughs> yeah. everyone else is doing so yeah. I really enjoy that element the other run through that we did that hasn't launched yet on the channel but will be dropping any day now I believe is Wingspan Asia and this was a huge release of course from Stonemaier Games this game is a slight twist on the original Wingspan game that allows an extra element of puzzle for a two-player game. So this yeah. is a two-player only well, expansion. The duet mode. The duet mode. Is, yes. Um, and what it brings is this new puzzle that sits in between the two players. And so as usual in Wingspan, you're playing out these birds into different habitats. Um, but then every time you do, you get to add a token to this board according to one of the conditions of that bird. So it might be whatever you fed them at the time. Mm. Um, it will be whether the beak is looking left or right yeah. in the the image, size of the uh, nest, yeah, the wingspan, yeah, yeah the, the nest, nest type, type. Yeah. and you're adding these tokens, and now each of the end round goals or objectives are based on this puzzle and solely on this puzzle, and that means that there's this new tension that's introduced where it's like, do I want to play the card that's actually better for my engine mm. building, or do I want to play the card that's going to help me win that end of round yeah. objective? So it's just an interesting new puzzle. The expansion itself, of course, you can just get it for the new cards to mm -hmm. add to your wingspan experience or it also introduces flock mode which allows more players to play yeah, around six the to table. seven so expand it to six to seven and also it's a standalone so it's like it's also a standalone two player um, and yeah. that's my favorite way to play wingspan at yeah. two players yeah. even the original um and that brings us to our rankings yes so, so yeah for you me, go first for me Fit to Print would be two and Wingspan would be one. Reason for that is, you know, Fit to Print is lots of fun. It's so clever what they've managed to do with, you know, with that kind of real time and that sort of uh, fitting tile shapes into, um, into a finite space. However, you know, once I've played a few times, I'm like, okay, good. Like that's, you know, I've sort of satisfied that fun itch and now I'm ready for something more complex and layered and like that's going to take a bit more thinkiness. And Wingspan, come on. Like, you know, there's there's a lot more to that in terms of like there's a lot more. There's all the beautiful cards, um, all of the things that you can explore. Obviously, it has a solo mode as well. So Wingspan would be my number one. And for me, it's the complete opposite. <laughs> um, I do actually really enjoy Wingspan Asia. It does 
bring in more interesting puzzle elements mm. um, to the two-player experience, which is my favorite experience of Wingspan. But even at two players, it's still a little bit multi, uh, multiplayer solitaire for me. Mm. And I do love a fun game. And I feel like Peter McPherson and Flat Out Games have done it again with Fit to Print. <laughs> I would not be surprised that this is in my top games of next year when it actually wow. comes out because it's just a real go-to game for that fun experience. It's easy to teach and it's just hilarious and I love a bit of hilarity but there's still a lot of uh, skill in it as you would have seen in the run through I did a terrible job of it Um, but it's just it's just really great I really enjoy it the push your luck cards with in wingspan they're pretty fun those predators are great where you're kind of going oh come on am I going to do it I'm going to do it yeah I'm going to do it and then like in the person around you like it's going yeah, you should do it. Go on. Or when you're playing multiple, it's like, yeah, go for it. Do it. Yeah, yeah it does bring in some great things into yeah. Wingspan, but I stick by my choice. Okay. Um, it's Fair. a slight edging for me of fit to print. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's our roundup of our two games we've played this month, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it and look forward to seeing what the rest of the contributors put on their list. Bye for now. Bye. Hey folks, so I played four games for Rada this month and I've been pretty busy on my own channel, but I'll talk about it at the end. For now, let's get started with my top four games. Uh, For number four, we've got Runar. This is a skirmish battler game uh, set in Norse, like mythological Viking times, I guess you'd call them. And you've got uh, squads of heroes battling it out while also trying to build statues and collect crystals. And what I thought was really interesting about this game is that it had a very interesting like management like resource management style of combat there's no dice chucking it's all strategic based on the cards that you draw which activate specific heroes but also give you certain resources which you can spend for different actions on top of that i thought that the game had a really robust variety uh, of play because there are tons of different scenarios that are going to be available. I only got to play the one of them but uh, i saw what you know they were planning on and there's a lot of different things and the scenarios sort of fit together to make a kind of campaign. And between campaigns, your heroes will level up and get stronger, you'll get items, all kinds of things will be changing. So this definitely is a game that has a lot of replay value. Now, I personally felt that the game went on a little longer than it should at two players, which is what I would want to play it at. Um, Hopefully, I think that that will be uh, adjusted, or it can definitely can be adjusted. So hopefully they'll, they'll look into that. But that's the only thing that was that was bringing me down. That's why it's my number four. But otherwise, I think it's a really strong skirmisher. Uh, so if you like skirmishers, definitely check that out because it has some really cool uh, just differences that it's bringing to the genre. On top of being kind of gorgeous, like it has really quirky artwork, but I really, really love it. So that's my number four, Runar. Number three is Tentrix. This is Tetris. Yeah, okay, it's it's a board game, but it is effectively Tetris, and I think it was a really strong implementation of Tetris gameplay to a board game setting. I got to play this with Paula Deming, and we had a blast playing it. If you haven't watched that video, absolutely check it out. We had a ton of fun, um, and we uh, played through it, but it, like, what I loved about this is, especially as a two-player game, this is a Tetris battler. It's Tetris, but you can also mess with your opponent because they add these extra tokens that allow you to either benefit yourself or change some things around or potentially really mess with your opponents. Now, at a two-player game, I think it's it's quick. It's a nice head-to-head match, and you don't feel bad for doing those take-that you know elements to it. At a four-player game, it's frankly, a lot more strategic because you're really having to decide who to spend your negative tokens on. 
Um, and the take that elements can be a little bit, mm, a little bit harder to, to they don't sit as well, but they do a really good job of making it so that you don't get screwed with too much. You know, they, they sort of implement this lock system. And so, you know, you can only be messed with once per round because once it gets back to you, you know, you'll, your lock will go away and then someone can mess with you again, but they can't, you can't get hit like time after time after time with, uh, with new negative effects. So you can't get bullied in that sense. Um, uh, but so, so I think there's a really strong, like tile Lang Tetris game. So if you, if you like Tetris, absolutely check out, check out Tentrix because it is a solid multiplayer Tetris. But that was my number three. My number two is Cube Monster. And this is an engine builder, sort of a light to medium weight engine builder, which is like my favorite weight for, for engine builders. I like something that doesn't overstay its welcome. And I think this does a really good job of that. It has this really strong um, mechanical sense of just everything is cubes. You've, you pull cubes out of a bag. You're feeding this monster who loves to eat cubes. You're climbing Mount Cubia. You're building buildings out of the cubes that you draw. And those buildings let you get more cubes or give more cubes to the monster or trade cubes at a better rate. It's all cubes all the time. And it works. It one, it's kind of just fun to just play around with cubes. It feels like your little kid. That's charming. But it's also a solid engine builder. Yes, it can go up to, I think, 16 rounds, but the rounds go real quick, even on a four-player game. So this is a game that moves. And so you do, because it's 16 rounds, you do have a lot of time to do what you want to do and make those big engines, but you really have to choose when to focus, uh, when to like shift your focus between building your engine and climbing the mountain because that switch is kind of key. And it's not a, a, a pure switch. So you can do both at different points. You can start climbing a little bit, keep building your engine a little bit and go back and forth. But where the bulk of your focus lies is an important decision to make. So that was my number two cube monster. Really, really like that one. But my number one is Galileo project. And I talked a lot about this in the final thoughts, I'm sure, but, uh, the this so this is a sequel to one of my favorite engine builders of all time which is Ganymede Ganymede is a very light engine builder all about combos building up really fast combos and while Galileo project shares a, a good amount of DNA not only in the visuals which are just top notch but uh, in terms of that that combo building it had what it gains though because it it focuses a little bit less on the combos but it gains a really rich strategic depth to it. You can, it keeps the simplicity though, which I think is really important, which is on your turn, you can do three things. You can hire a person, you can build a robot, or you can research a technology. People are either quick boosts of, of resources or they are end game scoring cards, depending on certain things. The robots help you bump up the four different tracks that you're going up. Uh, and their technologies are, are a mix of like ongoing boosts or a quick benefit or something like that. But what I really like about this, I think a game, uh, something that I don't see games do a lot is the bumping up of the, of the tracks. It changes as you play in, in the sense that just because you moved up one doesn't mean you'll always be there. You can manipulate different tracks. So you can go down on one and up on another by moving a robot from one moon to another moon. And that is a simple thing, but it opens up this design space that I really like and it allows you to make these chains of moves where like, cause sometimes when you bump up tracks, you will get bonuses for doing so. So when you go back down, it allows you to get those bonuses again. 
that is something that I I really, really appreciated. Now, do I like this better than Ganymede? I don't know. They both occupy really uh, strong spaces for me. And Ganymede has, has dipped a little bit over the years, but um, this one, I think if I'm looking for a really solid engine builder that has a bit, a bit more meat in it, but is still an easy to teach game, really easy to get to the table, and one that is just absolutely gorgeous, I'm absolutely gonna go with Galileo Project. So that had to be my number one of the month. Um, but that wasn't all I did. I have been very hard work uh, on my own channel, RTFM, where I've been teaching a couple expansions. I taught the uh, two expansions to War of the Ring, uh, Lords of Middle-Earth and Warriors of Middle-Earth, uh, and those really flesh out certain mechanics of that game. So if you really like War of the Ring, absolutely check those out. And on the other side, I have been covering the latest expansions for Root, both the Marauder expansion and the, the new Clockwork expansion, as well as the Hirelings that come up uh, from the Marauder's expansion. So uh, I've been really deep into Root, uh, especially lately. Uh, so if you, if you like Root, and I think a lot of people do, it is a fantastic game, and I really, really like these new expansions, uh, definitely check out uh, my tutorials for or the Ring, and the Root, Marauder, and Clockwork expansions. Okay, that's enough for me. I'm going to pass it back, but thank you all so much for watching. I'll see you next time. Hello, friends from the city of brotherly love. Yes, Philadelphia. I'm in town for PAX Unplugged, and somebody, me, <laughs> forgot to record a video talking about the games that I played for the channel this month. So let's do that uh, real quick. Um, I played two games for uh, the Rotto Runs Through channel uh, this month. And I'm going to rank them on number one, too. But I'm going to also talk about a couple other things as well. So I played number two, Clank Catacombs. And I love this. Uh, this is what I felt Clank should have been from the get-go. Um, instead of a static board, you have tiles that you're flipping over. So it really has a true dungeon crawl feel to it. So you really don't know what's coming up on the next tile. And you flip it over. And if you're familiar with Clank, you know it's a deck builder. Dungeon crawl, you're using your cards for movement and combat. And you're trying to get treasures and get the heck out of Dodge before the dragon gets you. It's a really smart implementation or re-implementation of the core game. I really enjoyed it. Um, you can check it out here on the channel. And my number one game of the month was Evergreen. I actually played this several times uh, and I recorded a, a video here for Rattle Runs Through. Really enjoy this one. This is continuing that trend for me that I really enjoy seeing where games have um, really a, some crunch to them or brain burn, but they're not overly long. So you can play this in about an hour. Uh, you are basically uh, trying to build the luscious environment on your uh, your planet, and you do that through uh, action selection. You're choosing different actions, but as you, uh, you're also card drafting. The cards give you uh, special bonuses as well. So it's all about trying to figure out when you're gonna take the bonus, because uh, you can do it either the action or the bonus first, and where are you going to place your pieces, and how are you going to score? Because you got to uh, you got to keep track of the sun, folks. You know the sun will come up tomorrow, as uh, Annie would say. Um, the sun comes up, and you're going to score based on how the uh, your trees are lined up. Oh, it, it's so so good. Um, you know, it really took me a while to wrap my head around the game. Well, once I did, oh, it's one of my favorites of the year, honestly. So uh, those are the two I've covered for the channel. Over on my channel, Tabletop Tonight, you can find me at Ruel Gaviol on Twitch and on uh, YouTube. I played the three other games that are really, uh, really wonderful. Um, the first one is uh, Longboard. It's the new Reiner Knizia. I've been a big fan of uh, Dr. Knizia for a long time. I was excited about this one. It's basically a re-implementation or the next iteration of Lost Cities. So you still have that 
that you know you're building uh, numbers. Um, you know, it's it's card based, and you're you know going through one through ten, or in this case, one through eight, I believe, and trying to line those cards up. But this one has a little more take that, so it's a little more interactive than Lost Cities. Some players may not like it, but I, Michelle and I really enjoyed it. Um, and one other thing that does beside that Lost Cities doesn't do, it plays up to four. Um, I liked it at two. I thought it was fine. I really think it's that next iteration of uh, Lost Cities. So check that out. Uh, that's Longboard. Another one that I played that was actually covered here on uh, Rattle Runs Through was Fit to Print. Uh, this is Peter McPherson's newest game. Uh, Peter McPherson, uh, Wormholes and Tiny Towns fame. Uh, this takes Galaxy Trucker and uh, meshes it in a really cool theme uh, of a it's really cute critters uh, running a newspaper and you know you're against your rival editors uh, trying to uh, you know in real time trying to lay out a newspaper I, I mean I love it I'm a, uh, I was an, a journalism major back in school and I'm, actually if things would have gone differently I may have gone into the sports, uh, sports uh, pages uh, back in the day I was a sports editor for my college paper so the theme really, uh, really you know hits home with me I loved it um, it's a real time game but they do have a turn-based um variant which i haven't tried yet i've done solo i've played multiplayer all in real time uh, but there is a turn-based one which i'm really curious about and then uh finally the last game that i played that were totally worth mentioning it just it's on kickstarter right now shake that city it is fantastic i love this one so much you, it's got this cube shaker you're laying down cubes you know randomly and you're gonna uh draw draw tiles and place your city and score different um uh, different parts of your city it's sort of like if you ever played Quadropolis, it's got a little bit of that feel to it, but more of a um, almost like an abstract puzzle as well. But oh, it's fantastic, folks. Highly recommend that. So those are the games I played here on Rado this month and also on my channel. And um, thanks again for joining us for the RR show, and I will talk to you later. Bye, friends. Hey everybody, Kimberly here, and yup, I'm ready for my November roundup. I got three games in, but Boy, am I feeling the holiday spirit. I am full from pumpkin pie and chocolate cupcakes. I don't know why I made those, but they sounded delicious and they were. And it just started snowing where I live today and will probably go throughout the week. So, wow. I mean, again, very, very November-y feeling. So let me get started with those games. The very first game uh, that I'm going to start with, uh, which is my third favorite game, is Mapping the World. Mapping the world is really cool because you've got this resource card management system that allows you to play your cards as actions, but also play your cards as the uh, essentially the build action. And so cards are multi-purpose. You can use them to do the thing on the card, or you could use them as the core value of a one, two, three that you need to map, right? To, to show that you've gone to all these different places. And there's this big board in the center that shows where your boat is and where you're mapping and where you're headed. The other cool thing about the game is that there's this great exploration feature where players get to flip over cards and have little mini adventures. And it's just the right amount of fun storytelling with player option. And every time you go somewhere, it's good. It, it gives you some kind of bonus for getting there first. So it's just cool. It plays well. You have your own development board where you are upgrading cool tech on all these different things that allow your card hand to, your, your hand limit to grow, to allow you to earn more victory points for doing basic actions and to just kind of bank off of other players and their movement on the board. 
Now this game scales really well, and so fewer players, more players, it's going to be really fun. Maybe just have a different dynamic. So mapping the world is where I'm gonna start. I'm gonna move into my next game, and that game is Tiny Epic Crimes. Now Tiny Epic Crimes is this fast-paced, figure me out. You've got 48 hours to figure out who the killer is, somebody was murdered, and you are a detective among other detectives at the table. And so there's just so much classic deduction here, but there is a little bit of risk. So some of the actions that you take might ask you to roll a die, and there's going to be some roll to resolve when it comes to taking those risks. Are you going to roll um, essentially well enough to match the number that you're saying? So you say, I'm risking four, and if you roll a four or a lower, you did it. Um, if you roll higher than that, you spent a bunch of hours investigating something and it took you down a rabbit hole and the rabbit hole was a dead end. So thematically, it totally makes sense. Um, but there's some really, really cool features here that allow this game to be uber replayable. I think the system in and of itself of the characters, the actual suspects in the game, is in this nice grid. You've got five different features that there are two things of. And so you've got 16 people in this cast, and at the beginning of the game, you draw one, slide them down in this murderer uh, case, and you will be able to look at different features of this suspect without revealing the mystery. So everybody's in on it together, there is a right answer, and you can slide that card into other sleeves that tell you, ooh, was it footprints or fingerprints left at the scene? Uh, was the getaway car a motorbike or was it a truck? And so forth. And so you're going around spending time in this turn order time track where you spend hours investigating in the daytime and nighttime, which there are two different times that restrict what you can do. And if you're the last in order, you get to go. And you essentially get to go as long as you're last in order because you're taking smaller actions and, and actions that take you less amount of time to do. Now, I think the really cool thing about this game that really bumps it up super close to my number one is that there's a possibility uh, for cooperative play. And that means you take your detective card, you flip it over, and instead of having night and day restrictions, detectives have restrictions. And so you really have to work together to piece together the puzzle of who your murderer is. And I think that just it takes the game, it has all the same elements, all the same components, all the same actions, and it twists it to make everyone work together. And you have shared badge cards and you have shared information. And, and at the end, you all get one guess. And if your guess is correct, yay. So there's just a lot to like about it. It's packed into such a tiny box and there's a lot in there. So super replayable, highly, highly thematic. And I like that there's that cooperative play in addition to the classic, um, you know, I think wholly intended competitive play, but I think the cooperative play works really well. So before I get to my uh, number one, which is my favorite game that I played in November, I want to interrupt by saying there are some really cool things that I've been playing, um, and one of which is something that Richard's been playing too. So I got a preview copy of Shake That City, and I've been playing it. I mean, I'll tell you, this last game I played, I got the closest to not losing I've ever come before. <laughs> so I always come in last, no matter how many players I play with. I teach this game every time, and boy, do I lose. But I have such a good time. It It's really just an abstract game. 
and you are city building in your own player area, but the way that the rounds go, it's fast, it's fun, there's this cool shake em up city device that has a certain set number of cubes in it that match the five different tiles you can play into your city. And you push it in, you let it go, and you move this box, and it drops down a three by three grid of tiles. And it's just so cool. And you pick one as the start player, as the, the beginning player, you pick one color, one type of tile that you want to place. And you put those tiles matching the same configuration into your area. And then everyone else at the table can pick any other color. They can pick the same color as each other, but they just can't pick what I pick. And so there's this really cool restriction and you just want to play out all these cubes, you want to play all your tiles out, but things start getting packed and a little bit more tight and a little bit more ugh, ugh. And so you can score in all five different ways of the tiles. You can score on your board, getting uh, columns and rows of certain required things. And I just, I don't know, like I love it. I also like that there are these expansions that are kind of built into it. There's this construction variant. Um, there's a solo variant. And so I like it. I like Shake That City so much. It's super abstract, but super fun. And then the other thing that my husband and I really get into during the holiday season when we have breaks from teaching, we just have more time. We have like an hour to two hours to just sit down and hang out in an evening or on the weekend. And we get into the puzzles, the locked rooms, the exits. And so I don't even know if it'll fit in the frame, but I have this <laughs> ready to open up. You can tell it's still shrinked, but it's my advent calendar. Um, so I'm gonna get this going in December and I'm so thrilled. We just finished the um, exit Lord of the Rings Shadow Over Middle Earth exit and had a really, really good time. We figured out all the puzzles without having to look up the clues. And that to me is, I mean, it's a level two. So it's like, that's our gauge. If we could do a level two and not have any help, then we're like, hey, we're two out of five stars kind of people. <laughs> so we have fun with the exits. And then we also have done two of the suspects in the um, Claire Harper Takes the Stage uh, series. And I've been really enjoying that. It takes us about an hour and a half to get through those uh, particular puzzles. And you get a map of a location that you can go to, all these different rooms. There's a murder body. Um, and you have cards that let you um, um, interview people and get, you know, juicy gossip and details. But they are also rooms to look at for clues. And I just, I don't know, it's really fun. It's a card-based game and the amount of cards you take are the points you have until you have to guess and get full points for who's the murderer, why they do it, what do they have on them, on all these questions. So I've been having so much fun with just locked rooms and murder mysteries and exit things, and I look forward to my advent calendar for the month of December. So, yay! Okay, so that aside, now to my number one. This is my favorite game that I did a run-through for in November. Starship Captains. I liked it. I liked the theme. I had fun playing it. I think there are just tons of possibilities um, that Richard and I talked about in my final thoughts where, yeah, add care special characters, add other things that can happen like events, you know, start doing other things that can like supplement the game and make it maybe a little bit more um, gamery than entry level, but as, as a basic entry level one hour strategy game with this worker management system, 
I loved it. I thought it was smart. I thought it was fun. I mean, some of the stuff matters and some doesn't, but it's really just about moving your figures around and going on these away missions and getting really cool stuff, making alliances with factions that are going to give you super cool bonuses and victory point rewards. But I just thought it was fun. I, I left every game I left and the solo, the solo variant for that game really surprised me with how much it focuses on the active player, but gives the active player just the right amount of tension and conflict to make it feel like a game, to make it feel like it's not just a gimme. It's not just a, you know, hand me the victory. So I, I liked it every way I played it and I can't wait to play it again and hopefully see some of those really cool ideas come to fruition with the bonuses and the really cool stuff that they could do with Starship Captains but as a as a just a fun homage to Star Trek I mean loads of humor loads of personality and character and I just love the figures I love the idea and the concept of you know, training them and making the commanders and just kind of just, I don't know, it just feels like it. And there's a cool little tech board that you get to upgrade and you're constantly getting rid of damage. I mean, there's so much. Just go check out my final thoughts about that with Richard because we talked about it a lot. I think both of us are, are huge fans and um, yeah, just really great things to say about Starship Captains. So that is it for me. That's my November roundup. Thank you for staying tuned and checking out not just my list of games I did run-throughs for, but some other really, really cool stuff that I'm into in November and hopefully coming up in December. All right, I'll see you next time. Back to you. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And thank you, Shay and Kimberly and Ruel and Amy and Maggie. Those are some very, very great games for folks. Uh, now, for the moment you may or may not have been waiting for, I'm going to tell you about the 12 games Jen and I played over the month of November, counting them down to our new game of the month. And there was some very, very cool stuff here. And I know 12 isn't as much as we normally do, but th you know, November was a busy, busy month with Thanksgiving and uh, Jen doing all of her orders for GamerGlass.art. Uh, December, I think, is going to be a very, very big month. I'm going to be blitzing a lot of games in time for uh, my top 10 preliminary game of the year list that I do every year on Christmas Day. So you can look forward to that in the future. Uh, if you don't want to miss it, by all means, subscribe. Uh, you know, there's a link down below if you don't want to miss stuff. But in the meantime, folks, I have waffled long enough. Let's get going, starting with number 12 on the list, Helionox Chronicles. Helionox Chronicles, which is a very, very cool um, cooperative version of a game that came out many, many years ago that I covered back in the day called Helionox. It is a science fiction game hundreds of years in the future where the sun is dying. And that is putting humanity in a bit of a pickle. And there are some brave people who are trying to get humanity's ducks in a row and we play those brave people. Originally, it was a competitive game, which always struck me as weird, competing to be the ones to save humanity. But now, Helionox Chronicles is a story-driven cooperative game. And I already love that so much 
much more. And it brings in kind of a worker placement element uh, to add to the deck building that we do as we get more and more uh, specialists and equipment to be able to jet all over the solar system to um, you know fight dis um, disasters that are breaking out all over the place, um, you know exert more influence over the populace, and try to chart a better future for humanity. And I uh, really, really liked it. The reason this comes in at number 12 is... As a two-player game, I found myself, especially after playing the solo mode, thinking that, boy, I really wish that you took fewer, bigger turns. This is a game, imagine a deck builder, imagine um, Dominion, where on your turn, you've got your hand of cards, you will play one card, then everybody else plays a card on their turns, then you can play the second card, and the third card, and the fourth card. It works okay, but I found myself wanting to take bigger turns, wanting to, you know, uh, put a lot of stuff together. And, um... I, it, um, you know, it worked great in solo. I think it would work well in two. And here's the interesting thing. I talked about this with the publishers, and they are in the process of rethinking the lower player count games so we can have fewer turns that are bigger and more impactful. And I am very excited about that, folks. Uh, you can learn more about it by, um, you know, going and checking out the crowdfunding campaign, um, because this was a sponsored preview I did for the game. And if, if, if this works as well as I suspect it will, I suspect this will jump up quite a bit in my overall rankings because the core the core gameplay here is great. The deck building is fantastic. The hero management, the um, you know anticipating where you need to go to fight objectives, the worker placement, the way the bad guys spread more disasters. All of it is super duper sharp. My only complaint being that I wanted fewer big turns instead of more small turns. And like I said, they're working on I guess you'd call it a Rado variant, and I think that's going to make the game even better. But as it is with the rules as written. Um, Heliox Chronicles comes in at number 12. Then let's talk about number 11 on the list, Starship Captains. And this is interesting. Um, uh, Kimberly did a great run-through for this uh, competitive Star Trek-inspired Euro-style game from um, Czech Games Edition. And since both Kimberly and I had played it independently, we got together and did a group final thoughts. We talked about this game for over 20 because we're both diehard, hardcore Star Trek fans. And so we just really dug deep on everything this game does well, and it does a lot of really great stuff. Uh, most notably, the way you manage your crew of uh, cadets, Edsons, and commanders to do different actions in your ship or to go on away missions or upgrade your ship so you can get different technology that your crew can run or recruit more crew or train your crew. And it's all done in this really smart queuing system where after a crew member does an action, they go to the back of the queue. And if you can time things right, that means if they're not too far back in the queue, you'll be able to get access to them on the next round right away. But if you save one of your more powerful characters, like a commander, to late in a round, then chances are they won't be able to make it to the front of the queue and you'll have to wait a long time for them to show up. So worker placement in this game gets a really interesting twist with a very fun queuing system. And also, the game is overflowing with wonderful thematic touches. There's a, a love letter not only to Star Trek, but all kinds of science fiction properties. And it's great. Now, why does this come in at number 11? Because I definitely enjoyed the game. I should say my wife, uh, Jen, in her monthly Jen Jog, she listed this as her number two most favorite game of the month. But for me, it came in a little bit lower for the exact same reason as the previous game, Helionox. In a lower player count game, it really 
really feels like you're taking lots of little baby steps when you should be taking just bigger steps. I talked about this with Kimberly. She made a very good point that, yeah, it makes more sense for it to work this way at a higher player count game. And I completely agree. I would love to play this as a higher player count game. But if I were to play this anymore as a two-player game, I think I might want to switch things around, uh, maybe come up with a variant kind of like what they're doing with Heliox Chronicles, so you have fewer turns, but they're big, explosive, impactful turns, instead of lots of little baby step turns that lead up to a big turn. That makes total sense at a higher player count game, because with more players, the board is going to be much more dynamically changing all the time, so you've got more to respond to. But as a two-player game, hey, I'm usually on one side of the galaxy, you're on the other side of the galaxy, and I'm just waiting for you to take your baby steps so I can do my baby steps, so you can do your baby steps. It just feels like the game would just zip along quicker. So, Great production, really cool mechanisms, wonderful thematic um, touches, uh, and a great sense of humor, too, I should say. Uh, and again, at a higher player count game, I would rate this much higher. Uh, as a two-player game, I enjoyed it. My wife loved it. It is Starship Captains. Okay, then let's go on to a number 10. Combinations. Now, I've only got a chance to play this solo, and uh, this is from Cornrand Musel, the uh, same designer of Habitats, which is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the greatest uh, tile-laying games of all time. And tile-laying is just about my favorite board game mechanism of all time. So, a new, new tile-layer coming from him definitely caught my attention. And I did a solo run-through of it for members and Patreon backers of the show, my monthly Rado Recluse, where, uh, you know, exclusive for... Uh, you know, members and uh, patrons. And I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Very fast game. This is basically a filler-length game, at least as a solo. I got the game done on my first play of it in 20 minutes. And it was very, very satisfying. Uh, it's really a fairly straightforward draft uh, as you are moving around, Rondell-style. Hey, I can take um, the, the uh, next tile uh, clockwise or counterclockwise if I change things up or, or, and put them on the board. You know, you've seen this kind of thing in Patchwork and others. But then, placing them on the board has a lot of really fun, interesting uh, decisions to make, because you are trying, in each of the five different terrain types, to have uh, you know bigger and bigger collections of you know contiguous groupings. While, the interesting thing, at the same time, trying to do good on everything. Because at the end of the game, whichever terrain type you did the worst in, you'll double the points of that. And that could be a huge twist. Plus, a lot of the tiles actually come with cool little suburbia-style things that say, hey, don't build anything next to me, or have the majority of this or that or the other. So, it is a sharp game, a fun, fast, simple, little lightweight... I would. This is definitely a gateway. This is a great gateway to suburbia. I think that would be the best way to describe it. And um, it's a little light for me. I would look for something a little bit heavier normally, but I could totally see playing this with complete novices uh, who like, hey, do you like jigsaw puzzles? Then let's sit down and play this game, and their minds will be blown uh, away by just how fun and um, satisfying this is to puzzle together the best nation in combinations, uh, my number 10 of the month. And now let's move on to number 9 on the list, Pest. Now, I did a sponsored run-through for this. There's another game that was um, uh, doing crowdfunding. And this is a game set in a medieval-era unnamed country um, where we are doctors. I like to think of them as first responders traveling the countryside, trying to save as many people as possible from plague, also trying to rebuild the infrastructure of the kingdom because the whole place has been decimated, and also the people whose lives we actually save, we then make sure that they are gainfully employed and can rebuild their lives 
um, because of all the infrastructure we have built up for them. So I love the story this game tells. It is a celebration of people bravely sacrificing um, to save uh, everyone else. I love that. And I also love the core gameplay system this has. This is a worker placement game where each player on their board has a little tic-tac-toe board. And you place one of your workers, and wherever you go on the little tic-tac-toe board, that means you're going to activate the action on the row and the column um, that you chose with your meeple. And that creates some very fun and interesting tense decisions. Because, hey, I want to move, but if I want to move, that means I've got to combine this with a um, give people jobs. I don't have anybody to give jobs right now. Or a, um, you know, uh, oh, uh, build stuff. And I don't have enough resources to build. So what am I going to do? Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so if I don't move right now, and if instead I do some research, I can combine the research with uh, getting some money, and then that means I would have enough to be able to build. So you have some really interesting short and long-term planning trying to figure out how this is going to work out while also traveling around the countryside on this gigantic board. Folks, I cannot stress just how big this board is. And the player boards are huge too. So that's something to definitely want to know about going in. You might need a bigger table uh, to play this. But the gameplay is really sharp. I love how every time you play, uh, there are six objectives that are laid out uh, that are going to be scored at midpoints throughout the game so everybody knows long-term what your goals are and the core puzzle of how to um, get NPCs to work to peak efficiency on that little um, uh, check, or, you know, tic-tac-toe board of worker placement options is absolutely brilliant. My only complaint about this game that keeps it at number nine on the list is... As a two-player game, there were definitely some decisions that were made in the development of this that just don't make it quite as sharp as it would be at higher player counts, like competing for um, majorities of things and whatnot that just kind of robs a little bit of the tension and the excitement that you would get at a higher player count, but I was literally just reading the latest update for this this morning on their crowdfunding page, and they said that um, they are in the process of playtesting some variants for two players specifically based on the feedback I gave them to make this just as tight and tension-filled and as exciting as a two-player game that it would be at a higher player count game when you've got play more players gobbling up resources and competing for majorities and whatnot. And that makes me very happy. I can't wait to see because I suspect that would make Pest climb quite a few steps. As it is with the prototype I played, it comes in at number nine, Pest. Okay then, let's go on to number eight on the list, Fit to print. Now, this was a sponsored preview that we did for the channel, and here's the interesting thing. This is a game, a tile-laying game, all about trying to do the best front page layout for your little um, cute, charming, anthropomorphized animal village newspaper. And... The game has several different modes you can play it in. You can play it in this kind of solo puzzle mode. You can play it in a really stripped-back, simplified family mode. So you can play with young kids and whatnot. The core way you play is very reminiscent of Galaxy Trucker. It's a real-time grab-the-tiles-as-fast-as-you-can, figure out what's best for you, and get them onto your uh, page... Uh, instead of your spaceship, um, before uh, other players beat you to the punch. I have not played that mode, because there's a fourth mode for the game, which is a more strategic, turn-based tile drafting game. And I really enjoyed that mode. I played it that way, um, but what I really want to do to see if it's going to bump up a few steps on my overall rankings is to play the real-time mode with Jen, which I haven't got a chance to do. I did play it solo. It worked really well. Uh, now, here's the interesting thing, folks. You might think, oh, well, Rado didn't show off the core motion. Uh, how's the real-time work? You're in luck. 
Amy and Maggie, um, they talked about this earlier in the episode, they covered the um, real time. And they really convinced me that this... I thought this was just going to be, oh, you know, I played Galaxy Trucker. I get it. What does a fit-to-print do that I haven't already experienced? It does some very cool stuff that really changes up the core vibe. Makes it a radically different game than what I demonstrated. And I suspect if I get a chance to play the multiplayer real-time, that that's really going to elevate this too. Again, the turn-based strategy mode uh, is great. I really enjoyed it, as did Jen. Um, And that mode comes in at number eight on the list fit to print. Okay, then let's go on to number seven. Uh, This is Find the Source, which uh, is another game that I'm doing a sponsored uh, preview for. And now this is one of those roll and writes that we've been seeing more and more on crowdfunding platforms where if you go check it out, you can back at a very, very low cost and provided the game funds, they will send you PDFs that you can print out to play and replay and replay the game. You provide your own dice, you provide your own pin, you provide your own printer and your own paper and ink, and then you embark on a very, very cool solo or cooperative cyberpunk um, adventure game where Every turn, uh, you roll two dice and, um, or actually say everybody rolls two dice if you're playing cooperatively and everybody has to choose. Do you want the high value die, which means you'll get that many action points. If you if you rolled a two and a five, hey, I want five action points. I want to use that to move from one side of the sea to the other and fight these guards and do some investigation and, and finish off by buying this item. And to be able to do all that, I would need five action points. And, or, or, and that, ugh, here's the problem. Uh, in addition to a health meter, uh, you don't want to get knocked out in the future because that will instantly lose. You also have an energy meter. And every time at the beginning of your turn, you take the high value die, you also burn through your energy. And if you run out of energy, it's curtains. It's over. So you're generally incentivized to say, no, 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 don't take that high five. Take the low die. Take the two. Now that only gives you two action points. You're not going to get as much done. But hey, you're not burning through your energy. And as a side benefit, because you didn't do as much, you can spend time training in one of five different skills. Hacking, getting uh, re-rolls of dice, fighting the bad guys, um, getting more bonus action points every turn, or holding on to energy so you're not bleeding energy so fast so you can basically uh, survive longer. And every turn, that is always a cool, fun choice. Do I give myself more um, actions to do, but I hurt myself? And, or do I give myself less actions, don't hurt myself, and level myself up? And, you know, that's just one place. There's actually several different ways that that choose the high die or low die comes into the game. And it is always a fun, every turn you're like, oh, please, I don't, no! Oh, a one and a two. Well, okay, that's a pretty easy one. Uh, but I'll take the one because I, I mean, heck, I don't want to take damage for only getting one more action point. But if I have two action points this turn, I could actually take out these bad guys and escape without getting hurt. Otherwise, I'll have to wait a whole nother round to get there. Although, in the co-op game, it's really great. I actually, I enjoyed the cooperative game playing with Jen more than the solo game. The solo game works, but in the co-op game, we all have to coordinate our movements on our own pieces of paper because we have to do combined investigations to find where the source is, this rogue AI that we have to destroy. And so, I'm like, okay, I'm down in the hospital. I'm going to go on ahead and um, you know spend some of my energy to, or some of my action points to get some health, but then I'm going 
going to give that health to you because you can't possibly beat those two teams of agents that are on your back up there at the casino. So here, take this health that I got. Now you can get away. We'll meet up over there. If we both do the investigation, we can hack that street and that will tell us the final place. So there's actually a lot of fun collusion between two players as you're trying to coordinate your movements around. It's also a great game to play solo. Um, and the game actually comes with several different ways you can increase the difficulty level too to um, really ramp up the challenge of trying to investigate all these locations so you can hack all these locations so you can find the source and defeat it while fighting off waves of bad guys, unlocking all kinds of cool skills and items. And as I understand it, I just, my prototype uh, sheet of paper was just one of several different maps with different buildings and items that you'll be able to use to mix and match as you play the game more. I was really impressed by this, especially as a solo game. Although the the uh, or as a co-op game, the solo game is a lot of fun as well. And that comes in at number seven on the list this month. Find the source. Okay, then let's go on to number six, Village Rails, which is a sequel to a great, another great, great uh, card drafting and uh, tile laying game, uh, Village Green. This is actually like a sequel done by different designers, as I recall, but using the same core idea of when um, you know you are grabbing cards, in this case uh, rail line cards, and putting them over time in a little four by three grid that represents your little quaint English countryside uh, county where you're trying to complete what is it one two three four five six seven different rail lines over the course of the game, trying to get the uh, different icons on the different rails, uh, trying to hit different objectives like different types of terrain, all kinds of stuff. So in addition to the cards that you're putting in the 4x3 grid that represent the rail lines, you're also putting different cards on the outskirts of the rails. And these ones give you different objectives. If you take a card, uh, a passenger card or a journey card, I believe it's called, and put it on a given rail, that suddenly gives you an extra objective. Hey, not only am I trying to get more signals on that or uh, more matching barns, whatever it might be, but now I've got this additional objective I've got to do. And the more you put these cards on the outskirts, the more puzzly it gets, but the more points you can potentially score if you can complete the objectives that you gave yourself. And so if you find yourself like, oh, I'm too overloaded, I can't possibly get it all done, you have no one to blame but yourself for this game. And that was brilliant in Village Green, it's equally brilliant here in Village Rails. Um, and Jen and I really enjoyed this one quite a bit. I think I prefer Village Green more, in large part because I just prefer the idea of making beautiful gardens rather than really smartly laid out um, trail, tra you know, train tracks. But if you're looking for a fun, puzzly, fast playing, um, card drafting and tile laying game that also borrows the um, card draft um, from, oh, what was it called? Small World or um, you know, Century Spice Road, well, this game has a lot to recommend and it comes in at number six on the list, Village Rails. Okay then, let's move on to number five on the list, Joan of Arc, the Orléans Draw and Write. And now, Orléans is a wonderful, wonderful game. One of my favorites, still in my top 100 games all these years later. But this takes the um, bag building of Orléans, it gets rid of the bag building, keeps the bag full of all these different characters, and turns it into a tile drafting game where every round, over several rounds, we draw a number of tiles out of the bag, and then players take turns grabbing the 
um, citizens, knights, sea captains, um, merchants, uh, farmers, whatever it might be, taking turns grabbing them. And the beautiful thing about this game is every one of those tiles that represents different helpers, farmers or whatever, that you grab, they are multi-use tiles. You can use them for their core action, like a merchant lets you build more buildings, a uh, farmer lets you harvest more goods and store them on your board, or you can use them as part of charitable works. You can effectively sacrifice them to get a small benefit, but if you can complete a given charitable act before other players, you can get a huge payday. And that becomes one of the big points of contention. If multiple players are trying to complete the same charitable work at the same time, well, only one player is going to make it. And so this game is a roll and write that is full of races. Most roll and writes, um, you often find that, well, I'm just doing my thing, you're doing your thing, never the twain shall meet. But in this game, there are races everywhere on the player sheets. And, and players are constantly, oh, I finished that row, now you can't finish it. Oh, I finished that charitable act, now you can't finish it. So you're constantly paying attention to, I don't want to start working on a thing that I can't finish. So uh, it's much more interactive, you know, indirect interaction, but I mean, you're really involved in the other player's turn in Joan of Arc. Um, and, uh, oh, I mentioned they're multi-use. So you can use them for the charitable action, you can use them for their main action, or if you build buildings, you can activate buildings and get cool bonuses as well, if you've invested in that. Also, uh, anytime you want, you can take any of the characters you draft and turn them into a monk, which is a wild, so you can do anything you want. So really, um, all these tokens are four uses. And so, every turn, trying to decide what is the best move to make at the right time, bearing in mind how you're racing on all on progress tracks, on storage tracks, on money tracks, on charitable works tracks, on um, you know exploring the terrain, on building trade houses. There are so many different simultaneous races you can't possibly do it all. And it is a very, very sharp roll and write. Jen and I enjoyed it quite a bit. It would come in higher. I mean, if this game got an expansion that would introduce more complex buildings, because my only complaint is the buildings are really simple and straightforward because it's a rolling right. They're trying to go for a broad audience. But I would love to see some really heavy, crunchy, complex buildings that we could build that would really elevate the game. I could see this replacing Orléans for me because I really enjoyed it, as did my wife, Jen. That was number five, Joan of Arc, Draw and Write. Then we go on to number four, Alderman, which I did a sponsored preview for. It's a crowdfunding right now. And boy, I loved this game. This game came in very, very high for me. And interestingly, uh, it came in kind of low for Jen. Uh, Jen respected it, but she's like, uh, this game probably has the potential to trigger more analysis paralysis than any game I have played in years. Because here's, at its heart, what's going on. We are merchants uh, at the founding of the Hanseonic League. We are trying to travel through the Baltic Sea. Every turn, you are going to move your ship. First of all, every um, season, and the game takes place over, was it, I think... Four, four years, or it's either five years in each year. Yeah, five years in each year has four seasons. Every season, it is revealed how many action points do we get. So you never know exactly how much you're gonna, much stuff you're going to get done from turn to turn, um, which you know creates a lot of tension. Well, I have enough time to finish this if I start this right now before the year is over. Ah! So you've got that going on, and there's always ways to solve problems. But anyway, once you start moving, you say you have three action points this spring of the third year. An action point is spent... Well, first of all, it's free to move your ship from one city to an adjacent city. But when you arrive at the city, you must interact with it. You must spend at least one action point at that city. Although you could spend two or three or four or five or even six, depending on how many you have. Um, and all the cities are randomly generated with different combinations of actions you can do there. Harvesting goods, converting goods into other goods, buying things, selling things, uh, doing special world-changing stuff, all kinds of interesting things. 
And the thing is, say it's a turn, like I said, and you've got three action points. Okay, the simple thing is, hey, I'm just going to move from Hamburg to Bruges. Uh, and I was free to move because they're adjacent to each other. And then I'll just do a single level three action. I spent all three of my action points, boom, got a really big payday. That was it. But instead, you could spend one action point to move to Bruges and do a level one action, then move um, from Bruges back to Hamburg and then do a level one action. Yes, that's what you really want to do. And then you could finish out by spending your third action point and going over to London and not doing an action in London, but instead doing a generic action that's available at every time. And so, as the game goes on and you get these big turns where you might have four, five, six um, action points, the, the possibility space for you to explore is just through the roof. Six action points, hey, I could just do two level three actions back to back, or I could travel to six different locations, each location doing a unique action. And considering how many locations there are and how they're all randomly generated, that means, um, you know, when you're thinking about, oh, I'm, my upcoming turn, I'm going to have six actions. You know, even if you might have a lot of time to think about it, it's still going to be tough, especially because the, the cities can change based on what players do. Suddenly, you know, I thought I was going to go to Danzig, and oh, Danzig doesn't give me the uh, spurs anymore. Oh, now what am I going to do? Am I, uh, my whole plan. Um, it's really great. And I've only described half the game. Um, in, the, in, the, in your home city of um, Lubeck, there's also this whole other game where we're building, uh, we're buying land in Lubeck and building buildings uh, that will give us all kinds of special powers and income, but only if we're willing to pay for the income at the beginning of every year. And that's an area control element. There's area control elements all over the board. There's tons of ways to score points. And if all that weren't enough, on each uh, or on the uh, on each player's board, there's this really cool goods wheel because hey, you know what? This year, um, Danzig is producing lumber and fish. And I don't need lumber and fish, but I, I, I could go to Danzig. But if I wait till next year, I know the goods wheel is going to turn, and then they're producing stone. And I need a lot of stone to build the building I want to build back in Lubeck. So I could go there now, but I can't get the stone. So I should really wait until next season. But if I wait till next season, will I have enough action points to get to Danzig, get the stone, and make it back to Lubeck to build the building I'm trying to build before you build the building and take the majority of the uh, Kristen... Uh, the St. Christian uh, portion of town. It's just, I, I, I cannot stress. This game is brilliant. It's got so much going on, but it is... The, the core gameplay is super simple and clean and elegant. But it's rare I've seen a game this deep and crunchy. It goes super deep. So, um, for me, it comes in at number four of the month. I really, really enjoyed. Uh, and if Jen hadn't really struggled with this so much, I'd probably rank it even higher. But I'm knocking it down for her because she's a bit analysis paralysis prone. Number four of the month... Alderman. Phew! Okay, then let's go on to number three, Copan, The Dying City, which was another game I did a uh, sponsored gameplay preview for because it's fundraising right now. I think its fundraising campaign is actually ended at this point, um, which is too bad in case you missed it because, boy, this is a very, very cool worker placement game. And for me, um, I... Uh, for me to say it's a cool worker placement game, I really need to see something new. I've seen so many hundreds of worker placement games. It feels like you've done it all, but this game has this very, very cool idea. Actually, has a full, uh, uh, few cool ideas. Let's talk about the worker placement first. When you send your worker, you have one worker, to the ball court or the temple or the um, the artisans or wherever you know, or the, the embassy, you know, travel the world. You you activate the first place. You got to pay to get your worker onto that activation spot and do whatever action it is, whether it's you know currying favor 
favor with the nobles of Copan or uh, with the uh, you know the, the priests of Copan or building embassies or whatever it might be, you know, whichever zone you go to, you got to pay to get in there. And then you do the action. Now, your next time it comes around, if you keep your worker there, you can activate that action a second time and now it's free. You don't have to pay to get in because you're already in. And then on your next turn, if you stay there for a third time, you will get to activate a double powerful version of that action. So once you've gone to a given zone, you're not just doing that for one. You ideally, to be peak efficient, you want to say, hey, my next three turns are going to be hanging out at the ball court or you know, uh, traveling the highways and byways. And before I go there, I better have enough resources to be able to get a full functioning three turns out of that zone. And that is is brilliant. I've never seen anything quite like that. This game also features worker bumping, where if I'm in a spot and somebody else goes there, they bump me up, which means I'm going to get kicked out that much faster, which could be a good thing because, hey, I just want to get to the high level action quicker, or it could be a bad thing because, no, I want to stay here for three turns. Now I can only stay here for two turns because you bumped me. Um, so there's some cool player interaction, although it doesn't really happen very much at a low player count. Kind of unfortunate. But in spite of that, I still love this worker placement. But the other thing I love about this game is this is a euro where you're doing a lot of the same kind of stuff you normally do. Hey, I've got recipes to fulfill by getting the right resources and converting them into actions, which go, you know, convert into points, all the stuff you would expect. But the thing is, the beginning of this game is when the Inca civilization is at its height. And over the course of the game, it's called Copan Dying City because um, you know, over successive generations, the uh, Mayan uh, civilization is disappearing. This city is closing down. And at the beginning of the game, therefore, there are resources aplenty. You know, the, you know, the world is yours. You can get anything you want done. You're constantly drowning in resources. In fact, it's a problem because you have limited storage space unless you invest in um, you know more storage. But as the game goes on and the city dies um, and you know resources get tighter and tighter and there are fewer opportunities to do what you need to get done, it really ratchets up the tension. It literally turn most euros work the other way. You start out, you can't really do much, and over the course of the game, you get more and more powerful, and you can do really big things by the end of the game. Think Lahav. Think um um. Um... Oh, Agricola. You know, most uh, you know, Euro worker placement games work this way. But this one flips it on head. You start out incredibly powerful and you get progressively weaker and weaker. And I found that to be so compelling uh, because you have to make these plans knowing that it's just going to get harder and harder to get stuff done uh, for very strong thematic reasons. Also, speaking of theme, I love that the publisher actually went the extra mile and worked with cultural consultants, you know, um, from the, uh, you know, the civilizations that are represented here to really... Uh, add an air of authenticity and to kind of give back to the people um, that they are representing here. And I loved that as well. I doff my cap to the publisher for that. The gameplay is fantastic. It's a really fresh and interesting, really turns Euro tropes on their head. And that's why Copan Dying City comes in at number three. But we're still not done yet, folks. Let's talk about number two, Discordia. Now, uh, this is from designer Bern Eisenstein and um, publisher Iron Games, uh, which is the designer developer of one of my top 10 games of all time, um, Pelepenes, and a bunch of other games besides. Whenever Bern does a new game, it's always something fresh and new and interesting. And what this game does at its heart this is a dice drafting game. We are in ancient Rome trying to you know, um, build up ports and farms and barracks. 
And uh, oh, a commercial, uh, um, you know, centers. Uh, I think those are the four different types of uh, tiles you could grab to build up your, um, your. I, b- I believe we're in the Germanic region of Rome, building up your um, village or you know your your city. Um, and you do that every turn. There's going to be dice rolled based on the number of players, and the lead player gets to grab one die, and then all other players get to choose from the remaining dice. But here's the thing: whenever you grab that die, that die, based on what value it is, based on what color it is, gives you access to so many different things. Um, The number puts it in a given column, and whatever column it is, like the number four, hey, if I look at column number four, I I have five different actions I could choose from if I take a number four die. So that becomes a really interesting choice right there, um, because the board is randomly um, created every time, and it's updated all the time, too. So I really want to get something in um, row number three, because that's, or column number three, that's where I'm going, but the trees didn't come up. But, you know, as often with dice drafting games, you can change the dice to move them around and do whatever you need to do. But that's only half of it. That's what the number says. The number says, hey, what column worth of actions do I get to choose from this round? But the important thing is, as you build buildings, they've got die pips on them and colors. So if I want to um, do a four, I better hope that, um, hey, if it's a yellow, uh, a yellow four. I better hope that at one point in the past, I have built a yellow farm with a, a pip, a, a four pip on it. Because if so, that means not only I get to do the core action I want, but I also get to take farmers uh, that I'm responsible for and put them to work in the farms. And so there's this one-two decision. You care about the number, which gives you access to different actions. You care about the color and the number, which gives you access to the buildings you have already built and invested in, so you can put your populace to work. And and so the the uh, the the push pull there is delicious because often the column I want did not get the color I want. So I don't have any blue buildings. Am I going to take that blue four? Well, I still want to do that action, but should I take the red two because that means I could get some more soldiers trained because the the picks or the barbarians they are coming and I do need more defense. So you've got that kind of stuff going on. And I mentioned the um, a big part of the game is picking the right dice so you can put people to work. This is what I love most about this game. Most Euros, including several I've already talked about, um, your victory is determined by how good you did a job building up your own prestige. It's all about you, you, you. The more prestige you have, the more likely you are to win the game. That's not what we're trying to do in this game. In this game, we are just trying to build up the infrastructure of our city so that we can put people to work. The first player to put every single meeple they've got, and you've got a bunch of them, you know, 10, 12, 14 uh, meeples, you know, maybe even more. Um, Once all of them have been put to work, game's over, you win. That's how you succeed. By being a good administrator and building up an infrastructure that ensures that your people live good, prosperous, successful lives. And I love that. That is a much more interesting metric for success to me um, than, oh, how famous can I be because I invested in all the right artists or whatever it is. Don't get me wrong. I love that too. I love being a patron of the arts or a middle manager in um, you know the Hanseanic League or whatever it might be. But I really love this, where victory is determined by how good a job can I take care of my people. And the problem is, the better a job I do, the more people end up coming. Every round, new people will show up looking for jobs. So you have to be very, very smart about trying to get ahead of that curve. And I love the story this game tells. I love the really tough, challenging gameplay. Uh, There's a lot. I've only scratched the surface, too. There's even more I could talk about, but I'll just leave it there because that should give you a pretty good idea why Discordia came in at number two on the list. 
But there's one more to talk about, folks. Number one on the list, Shake That City, which I've done a sponsored run-through for, and I've got it right here with me. I love this game so much. It is rare after I've played a prototype that I'm not contacting the publisher saying, hey, where do you want me to send the prototype next? Because you, you, I know you need to send it to other channels so you can get more coverage. Here, I never asked if they wanted me to send it on because I want to keep it with me so much. Jen and I both adore this game because, as I said in my uh, preview for it, my sponsored preview, this has got to have the coolest new gameplay mechanism gimmick I've seen in the industry since Zulkin the Mayan Calendar brought us those gears over a decade ago, I think now. Because at the beginning of every round, what happens is, let me see if I can fast forward to it in the video, uh, you've got this shaker, this cube shaker. And what you do is, let's see, let me... Right. You fill up the cube shaker, you shake it, you push a plunger, and that creates a unique 3x3 three three grid of colored cubes. And what it's really done is, it has created a randomly generated polyomino Tetris piece. And so I see, oh, well, hey, there's a combination of roads. If I want to, I can build roads into my town, but I have to exactly follow the layout that the um, shaker created. Um, or if I want those two uh, buildings, or if I want those four residences and whatnot. And this is a game uh, where... The board is tight. You do not have much space. So trying to make informed decisions can be challenging every turn as you're looking at this new grid, figuring out what's the best thing to do. Hey, do I start really trying to get a longer road from the outskirts down to the waterfront so that I can get really successful uh, beachfront shops? Or do I think that's too big a risk because I never know what that shaker's going to give me? Do I play it simple and just grab... Oh, I'll just grab a single shop because I can just put that anywhere. Because as the game goes on and your city gets more and more full of stuff, it gets tight tougher to um, be able to, uh, you know, make use of what the shaker gives you. And I love it. The shaker itself is literally fun to use. To shake a shake a shake up, push that plunger. It's held in place with rubber bands. It's really smartly engineered. A little piece of cardboard engineering. And every turn, it makes another interesting puzzle uh, for you to try and figure out how do I best use what this has created. Plus, there's an element whoever is the lead player gets to choose one color. Nobody else can have that color. So then you're stuck with the remainders to choose from. I love everything about this game. There are objectives on the outskirts that we're trying to finish as well. Those are randomly placed. Um, and uh, you know, each type of building has different ways it scores. Residences score different than factories, score different than roads, etc., etc. I love everything about this. It is the best game I played this month. Um, if this game were actually coming out in 2022, I would believe it would probably be in my top 10 games of the year. But it's not going to go be available at retail until 2023. Although, like I said, it is um, crowdfunding right now, and I did a sponsored preview for it. That is my number one game of the month, Shake That City. Phew. Okay, folks. Oh, yeah, that was a lot. But hopefully, folks, you found something of interest amongst all of those games. And now, in closing, I want to say thanks. And first of all, let me say thanks to sponsor of the show, Fun Again Games, for help keeping this going month after month. Thank you, Fun Again Games. But also, thank you to all of these people whose names are flying by right now. These are all the folks that back the show on 
on Patreon, on Twitch, or on YouTube as members and enjoy all kinds of perks. And um, not only are there all of these folks, they're just zipping right by, but I want to call out specially the names of the really uh, high-level backers, uh, and I've got them in random order, so let's just uh, do a shout-out for each one of them, starting with Sharon Laubach. Thanks, as always, Sharon. Blake Wilson, Chris Steele. Yay, you're the best. Um, Eastus uh, Samuelionis. Yeah, baby. I still don't think I'm getting your name right, but that's okay. Uh, Caitlin Albert, I believe that's a new one on the list. Jeff Glazen, Steve Ercolini, Dan Algan, Chris Arnold, CK Mom, uh, Marlon Cruz, El Crosso, if you know him well. And let's see, what do we got here? Oh, Tom Cohen, uh, Graham Wallace, uh, Dave Salvatore, Victory BHD, Cheryl Howard, Dr. Fu, Eric Z, um, Kisa Griffin, Charles Hill, Heather Rudarian. Thanks to all of you, but Continuing on, Stacy Lee, uh, Denmawa 2030CE, uh, Cameron Zafar, Dennis Inti, uh, Marianne Gonzalez, Jay Hubar, Hans Peterback, Jimmy Schroeder Hansen, Cobra Misfit, uh, um, let's see, oh, Mike Bloom, uh, Marilyn, Martin Griffin, Ben Selmaly, Mom Gamer, Jerry Reese, Paul Martinez, Davey Davis, and Adrian Dong. Thanks to all of you and all of the rest of them. And folks, if you made it this long, as I promised right up front, I've got a little something special for you. The first ever outtake on the entirety of Rotto Run Show. I've never done this before in 10 years of filming, and I think it's hilarious. Thanks, everybody. See you next month. I really only like Wingspan at two players anyway because mm. of the multiplayer solitaire element of it. There's a lot of internalizing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh Why? It's like you were in the corner. Just oh my God. Have a, oh my. An Australian uh, attack. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, a moth attacked me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. <laughs>